Interrupting our usual program, today we share a conversation from Bikta Meets, a new video series where Bikta experts meet innovators whose work is transforming our world. In this episode, we discuss how space tech is changing life on Earth with Sophie Hackford, global technology futurist and co-founder and chair of 1715 Labs, and Luciano Diana, global environmental opportunities portfolio manager at the Bikta Group. To view the full video, Head over to group.bigte slash meets or follow the link in the episode description. Space science had a big role in galvanizing the climate movement. Being able to look back at the Earth from space is a very important part of the solution to some of these problems. Welcome to Picta Meets. My name is Luciano Diana. I'm a senior investment manager in the thematic equities team here at Picta Asset Management. Today, we will be talking about the future of space technology and what it means for life on planet Earth. Space is really exciting right now. The Perseverance rover on Mars is making history as we speak. A Chinese mission just returned with some material from the moon. There are new talks about the permanent lunar base and so on. And my domain is environmental investing and space is really crucial for our understanding of the planet. Over half of all the essential climate variables can only be measured from space. And many disruptive technologies that we are observing here on Earth in terms of energy transition are also relevant for space exploration. So with that in mind, in this edition of Picte Meets, we are joined by Sophie Hackford, a futurist and the co-founder of Oxford's 1715 Labs. She joins us to share her insight into extraterrestrial technology and its implications for the future. So I'm going to start with a personal question. Why do you personally study space? What inspires you to keep your eyes on the stars? And why should we? Well, it's a great question. I mean, one of the reasons why I find space so interesting is that I think it's underappreciated as a force of innovation for our lives here on Earth. Um, and, you know, it is no longer the province of government research agencies or the military industrial complex. It's now this incredibly exciting domain where entrepreneurs, scientists, government bodies are all innovating. I remember going to visit the SpaceX factory back at the beginning of the decade we just had. Um, and then it was a mad, you know, rogue company doing sort of really quite edge things. Now, of course, it's routine to read about one of SpaceX's launches in the newspapers. Um, they regularly win huge contracts with NASA. Um, they're still pretty mad. Uh, we can talk about that later if you want to. I think there's two main things that really excite me about the, the sort of private space industry. The first is that we can't understand our life on Earth without it. The global economy is the satellites, it is that space plumbing, it is the space stations, the rockets, the, the infrastructure that sort of orbits our planet. It can't be seen separately from it. If we were to switch space off, there would be no GPS, there'd be no military communications, there'd be no weather forecast, it, you know, we'd go dark pretty quickly. And the second thing is I don't think we can understand the development of future technologies here on Earth uh, unless we understand what's going on in space. So that's what you would say to someone that says, you know, we've got enough problems here on Earth, you know, why do we need to look at space? So it's not really to, to find a planet B. 
Yes, I mean, of course, the Planet B argument uh, is a well-trodden um, sort of uh, trope um, about the future of our of our species. I would argue, actually, perhaps the the opposite, even and that is that we we face such incredible challenges here on Earth that that frankly we've proven over the last you know have many decades that we are unable to solve wicked problems as some people call them highly interconnected challenging things that clearly the last year has demonstrated we are quite vulnerable to whether that's uh, obviously pandemics but but climate change clean energy cybersecurity plenty of big challenges that we face that i would argue we need all the entrepreneurship and innovation that we can get in order to be able to solve them it's not the only solution. I'm not going to rely on these space enge- uh, engineers and entrepreneurs to, to safeguard our, our sort of longevity on this planet. Um, but I would argue it's a very important sort of laboratory space almost or a playground um, to be able to trial some new ideas. And we definitely need new ideas. I think, as I said, the last year has, has, has proven that beyond uh, anyone's imagination, I think. And I think our listeners might be interested in really concrete examples of how satellite and space technology helps life on Earth. And maybe something that is happening really as we speak, we have the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars that is going to be the first autonomous flying vehicle on a, on a different planet, right? So are the dots connected between what um, the, the scientists are developing for Ingenuity, for example, and, and what is happening here on Earth? And then other yeah. examples that you might think about. Sure, um, there are lots of. I mean, there are lots of examples of how we can how we can use space as a sort of playground for autonomous robots. I think there's some really interesting and, as you asked, practical examples. The first that I love is that idea of space manufacturing. Companies who are launching little factories up into space where essentially instead of having to send up very large objects, which are very difficult to do, rockets are very slim, their payload is mostly made up of fuel, very little space for anything else on board. You know, it's difficult to send big things up, huge telescopes or antennae or even satellites. If we can manufacture those in space, that transforms how we think about manufacturing. If we're able to instead send the raw materials up, in a rocket and then beam the email instructions up to the to the factory that's orbiting Earth. That is a total game changer in terms of how we manufacture things. But also really interesting is when we start thinking about things that we can't manufacture on Earth because the properties that they have are unique to environments that don't have gravity. Things like fiber optic cable, you know, if you can grow that cable as some people are up on the International Space Station without the crystals and other imperfections that happen when you grow it in a gravity heavy environment, that could unlock connectivity across the world in ways that um, would be very difficult to manufacture down here. Yeah. And would you say that the enabling technology, the most important one for this explosion in the space economy is ultimately, you know, reusable rockets is to bring down the, the cost of taking the payload to, to low Earth orbit. You know, what, what are the things that our listeners should be tuning into when, when uh, they listen to the news for, um, for this type of... Um, no, it's a, great, it's a great question. I mean, obviously reusable rockets are arguably, without wishing to fuel Elon Musk's ego any further, are one of the, the innovations, in my opinion, of our time. That is a sort of before and after moment, as far as I'm concerned, in our sort of move to being a multi-planetary species. It's not the only one. Energy is going to be a huge one. Creating the conditions for us to thrive. Terraforming Mars is a big job. It's not a very habitable place, which is, I think, probably the the biggest understatement I've said all year. All the things we need, it has in the wrong place at the wrong time, the wrong acidic bath and lack of oxygen, all the rest of it. I would love to think that it was just reusable rockets, but there's a hell of a lot more that we need to be working on before we get to any kind of meaningful sci-fi future that people would recognize from the movies, I think.
here there's a lot of also moral questions, right, and, and ethical questions. And um, you know, you hear about the Elysium effect, uh, the, the movie with Matt Damon from 2013, where 0.01% uh, of the population lives happily in space and the rest uh, struggles on Earth. What, what's your view on, on those type of uh, moral dilemmas that we'll have to face as a civilization? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could argue we've we've sort of already done that on Earth. Um, so our track record isn't isn't fantastic. Um, I think that that film, um, you know, for for all its uh, Hollywood um, elements, uh, you know, is a very believable one. Um, that is a that is very much felt very much like a possible future, not obviously a desirable one, but a possible one. And we're going to need new business norms for space. We're going to need new laws for space. We're going to need new ethical frameworks about what colonization means. We're going to need uh, new rules around how we treat the rest of the galaxy. Again, our track record isn't fantastic here on Earth. How do we make sure we don't replicate the challenges that we have here up there? And also, how do we make sure that we are creating and using the entrepreneurship and innovation to improve our life on Earth rather than just, as uh, Musk says, back up the biosphere, create a, a, a second version of it elsewhere that only wealthy people can go? I mean, I think as we face such enormous challenges here, climate, energy, food, inequality, the experimentation that is going on in terms of space agriculture is very interesting to me. Again, not because I think we're going to grow all our radishes in space and send them home again, but what we're learning about the biology, about the growing conditions, about genetic engineering is fascinating. But for me, the focus is 100% about our life on Earth and has to be. And in fact, I would argue Space science had a big role in galvanizing the climate movement. You know, that, that, that image that we had of the, of the blue marble, as it was called, the, uh, of Earth, being able to look back at the Earth from space is a very important part of the solution to some of these problems. Yeah, and I think it's really important to start that conversation because we talk about uh, uh, sustainability, uh, planetary boundaries, uh, and they all pertain to, to Earth, but uh, you don't really hear much about also space sustainability uh, and, and you know treating space uh, uh, not as a common good where you could have the, the classic tragedy of the commons that everyone does what, what they want and so I suppose how important is for you the development of some robust uh, international policy on how to treat space in, in a right way so that we can avoid things like uh, um, the explosion of space debris or, or other things that, that might go wrong over there. Yeah, yeah well, of course, it's absolutely vital. And you know, it never was a question before, simply because private individuals didn't have a role to play in this conversation. It was a conversation between you know, the major spacefaring countries and you know, the language around that was very beautiful. Astronauts were known as sort of envoys of mankind, and it was all this sort of very lovely language. Now, of course, it's a very different conversation. The space debris point is a very important one, not just for environmental reasons, not just because we're basically just putting our trash outside the front door and hoping that no one else spots it, but actually it's very dangerous. The more that we're connected to each other and to the robots, the machines using these space services, the more important it is that they are knocked out of action because they got crashed into by a defunct satellite from a decade ago, for example. Also, if one is on the International Space Station, you definitely don't want to get hit by some space junk because that's a life or death conversation. Um, and so, you know, all of that is going to have to be, you know, for want of a better phrase, tidied up. I would like maybe to conclude with a question that potentially borders on the philosophical and, and that's mm -hmm. 
talking about really the deep space and and you know firstly do you think it was always our destiny to be a multiplanetary species you know from the get-go uh, a few hundred millions of years ago and um, and then what do you think about you know consciousness not really being tied to a physical scaffolding so so us eventually breaking free from 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 our bodies and basically travel the universe as as consciousness as you know teleporting and maybe a, th- oh. a thousand years from now yeah. and you think about the artificial intelligence exponential yeah. explosion in a thousand years we, we might we might get there so i don't know what, what, well, what do you think this is why i think this area is so interesting as well is that it's so romantic in a way it speaks to all of our exploratory our philosophical our technical our problem solving capabilities and our interests i think space is very poetic i used to work next door to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence group called SETI, whose daily job is to listen out for aliens. And, you know, at the time, and um, certainly maybe even now, I used to think, gosh, what an extraordinary job to listen for something that we have no idea about. We don't know what we're listening for. We don't know if we're listening in the right way. We don't know, you know we don't know anything. But what an amazing thing to dedicate your life to. And of course, interesting things happen when you don't know what you're looking for or listening for. You know, all kinds of innovations and, and exciting things happen. So I think there's, there's so much to really get our minds spinning in, in a thousand different directions. Um, I think also some people, and certainly some people I know in the astronomy world, look at our telescopes and our spacecraft not even as tools, but as extensions of ourselves. I think a more interesting or more cinematic version of that question is the idea that we may genetically modify ourselves to survive better in difficult conditions, that actually eventually we will change the nature of our species in order to be able to survive in low gravity environments, low oxygen environments. In fact, a, a lady again who I used to work alongside, an astronaut called Yvonne Cagle, said uh, once, what if the alien that we're in search of is ourselves? And I thought that was such a profoundly interesting and sort of stop you in the, your tracks idea. And I think that's why I think this stuff is so interesting, that if we restrict our thinking to the Earth, we're going to miss all the stuff that's happening. And of course, you know, long-term genetic modification or sending out robots to go and colonize planets on our behalf, that's all very far future. But actually 99% of the stuff we've talked about today is already happening. And I find that very exciting.